Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a five-week teaching series called How to Change Your Relationships, and we're learning that we change our relationships by changing ourselves. Thanks for joining us. Gary Thomas is a Christian author. He writes about many things, including uh, marriage. Wonderful author. And he tells a true story of one day he was flying. He was on an airplane, and it was a packed plane, and this young man came and sat next to him, and he engaged him in some conversation, and he asked him, you know, are you traveling for business or for pleasure? And the young man said, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually. And so the guy was, oh, well, where's your wife? And he said, well, she's up in another seat. We couldn't get two seats together because the plane was so full. So he did what probably any of us would do, right, if we were traveling alone. Well, you're welcome to take my seat, and I'm happy to switch with her. And this young husband looked at him and said, that's okay. I've been talking to her all week. I think that gets to the heart of maybe where we're heading today. And in case you missed it, last week we started a new five-week series in our church called How to Change Your Relationships. There's no question that over the last year, especially with COVID, relationships have been put under tremendous strain and stress. And so we wanted to spend five weeks after Easter looking at what God's word says to us about how we can change those relationships. And so we're talking about how to change your husband, how to change your wife, how to change your kids, how to change your friendships, and ultimately how to change your relationship with God. But just as a reminder, the big idea of this whole series, we talked about it last week. If you're following on your notes with me, We change our relationships by changing ourselves. And so last week, even though the message was called How to Change Your Husband, it's really what God's Word says to you as wives, how to live out that relationship. This week, the message is called How to Change Your Wives, but again, it's much more about how husbands are called to change themselves in the marriage relationship. I mentioned last week was really intimidating for me to speak on, you know, as a husband speaking to wives, but I found myself almost as intimidated this week because I realized how much growth I still have as a husband. And I just want to say this again. We understand that these are sometimes painful and sensitive topics to talk about, And so I hope you see that we try to discuss them with humility and love, and yet they still need to be talked about. We do this as a family of God. We recognize not everybody is in the same season of life, but we want to encourage people no matter what season of life they find themselves on. So I would just say, like I said last week, if you're a man and you're married, if you're a man and you're planning or hoping one day to be married, even if you're not a man and even if you're not married, All of these texts we're looking at, you can find something that applies to any relationship that you're in, and that is still true today. So listen, husbands, it's our turn, right? You want to change your wife? Let's look at what 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says. It's just one verse. I have it on your notes. We can read it out loud together there. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, I find it interesting. Last week, Peter writes six verses to women, and this week, he writes one verse to men. Now, there's two reasons, I think, for this. Number one, as I talked about in the context, lots of women were coming to faith in the first century in Jesus because it was so freeing for them, and yet they were wondering, how do I now go back home and live with my non-Christian husband? And so part of what Peter talked about last week was directly related to that. But the other reason I think there's only one verse here for husbands is because Peter understands men. Just tell us what to do. 
right? Just give it to me, help me know what to do, and you wouldn't, under, you wouldn't believe how much is packed into this one verse. In fact, I see four things Peter calls husbands to do, so let's unpack that. Number one, you want to change your wife? Husbands are to be considerate of or study their wives. Now, the reason I use the word study here is because it wasn't until I looked into that word, be considerate, that I realized the principle here is much bigger than just be nice to your wives. As husbands, we're told we need to be lifelong learners of our wives. I love how C.J. Mahaney says that he says men should be getting their PhDs in their wives. That means we learn to study them, their desires, their needs, their dislikes, their favorite clothing store, their favorite restaurants, her favorite drink at Starbucks, what she's happy about, what she's struggling about, what her gifts are, and whether or not she's being able to use those for God's glory. Let me get very specific here, guys, because if you're anything like me, I can be a little bit clueless on this. So let's talk about what it means to study our wives. Number one, again, if you're on your notes, this means learning that women are different from men. All the women in the room right now are going, duh. Uh, But listen, I'm telling you from personal experience, we don't always understand this naturally. Many men enter a marriage assuming their wife thinks the same way they do about all things, when that's just not the reality. They don't feel the same. They don't think the same. My favorite story of this is Robert Lewis tells a story of when his wife turned 50. He's a pastor in Arkansas. And he said, I I got a great gift idea for my wife. I'm going to get her a gym membership. And so he presents this gift to her 50th birthday, and she starts weeping. He's like, what's wrong? What's going on? I thought you would love this. She said, do you think I'm fat? (laughs) Women are different than men. Even neurologically, women are wired different. In fact, some research recently by neurobiologists has shown there are over 100 million differences between men and women's brains. For example, research shows that men and women mature differently. Girls at the age of 17 function almost at the level of a mature adult. Guys at the age of 17. Don't need to say anything there. I'm going to be general here. Other differences they noted, men are action-oriented mostly. Women are relationship-oriented. Here's another one. Women can function out of both hemispheres of their brain at the same time. And that's why women are able to take in so many more things in one moment than men. Men's brains operate more specifically. They're able to focus on something for a more intense time. And this is why men maybe sometimes get things done faster but they can only think about one thing at a time, which has been the cause of much pain and arguments in marriages, I would contend. As the husband sits there watching TV, not realizing his wife is even talking to him, and he goes, huh? We have different brains. Here's a picture I think that pretty much describes it. I've always loved this one. Here's the difference between men and women's brains. Husbands, being considerate also means learning your wife has different needs. And through all my studying I've done, I've come to believe, if you're following, the number one need for a woman is intimacy. Now, when you hear the word intimacy, guys, I think most of you start thinking of a three-letter word that starts with N, S, and ends with X. Not so much. 
Let me try to explain to you what intimacy is in a woman's eyes, and I realize this is very dangerous. But intimacy in a woman's eyes is when she experiences emotional, spiritual, and physical connectedness to her husband. And unlike men, they can't have intimacy unless all three are working at the same time. And really, intimacy is what God had in mind when he designed marriage in the first place. In fact, look at what the book of Genesis says. When God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.24, he writes, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Too many men leave and become one flesh without ever uniting with their wives. The old biblical word that they used to use for this was the word cleave. And all cleave means is that there's a spiritual, emotional, and physical connectedness that must all be shared for intimacy to take place in a marriage relationship. Intimacy happens when a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, share those three things together as God designed us to. Remember last week I mentioned uh, the root sin uh, for women based on the fall is that women tend to want to control their husbands. And I said, on the other hand, though, men's root sin in their flesh is they want to neglect their wives. And so when we talk about intimacy, we're talking about getting rid of this root sin in our lives, guys, of wanting to neglect. So I'm going to get practical with you. How, what would be two activities that we could be doing as husbands to grow this kind of intimacy in our marriages? Number one, if you're on your notes, intimacy is developed with quality time. I'm using the word, the key word there is what? Quality time. I used to think sitting on the couch watching a football game together was quality time. Not so much for my wife. Quality time for women means shutting out all other distraction, including the TV, including your iPhone, and giving her your undivided attention. It means planning a special date without her knowing about it. Listen, if you're always asking your wife, where do you want to go to dinner? and you think that's romantic, you've already lost. Quality time means you are taking interest in what she likes and what she wants. What your wife really wants is to know you want to spend time with her, and you're making an effort to do that. A second one that's closely related to this is that wives feel intimate through open communication. Quality time, open communication. Research, I looked this week, the number one complaint wives have of their husbands is, he just doesn't talk to me anymore. Just doesn't talk to me anymore. Now, that's not true when we first start dating, guys. Like, we'll sit for a couple hours at a coffee shop just talking to the girl we're interested in. We share everything with them. It's kind of funny, this, about a month ago, as we were planning for my mom's funeral, we were looking for different pictures, and we came across this box of all the letters that Peggy and I wrote back and forth to each other. Yes, this was pre-cell phone. Some of you don't even know what letters are. And we just would write back and forth. We would communicate all the time, and it's so easy as husbands to kind of get out of that. The bottom line is, though, our wives still need to feel like you're sharing your life with her, sharing it in a deeper way than you might be doing with anyone else. She wants to know about your life. She wants to know what you're thinking about. She wants to share with you in your life. While men may have stronger physical needs, women have stronger relational needs. And for her to feel intimate with you, she needs to connect with you on a much 
deeper level. She needs to know who you are, what you're struggling with, what you're happy about, what's bothering you, not just what you did today. And I might, might get a word of advice to wives and honestly, even to, to parents here. You know what really helps with this? Specific questions. You ever, kids come home from school and you say, how was your day? What is the answer you're going to get? Fine. Good. Well, we can do the same thing. So if you can get more specific, like, who did you sit next to at lunch today? What project were you working on this morning? This is true for all of us in this room, right? The more specific we can get, the more open communication begins to happen. We'll move on. The second thing Peter says is that husbands must honor their wives, and that just means making her feel significant. Again, this just comes natural when we first start dating, right? We're, we're courteous. <laughs> we're thoughtful. After we get engaged, we're still courteous, and we're still thoughtful. After a few years of marriage, eh, many husbands forget and start taking their wives for granted. I plead guilty to this. But Peter calls husbands to continually honor your wives throughout your marriage. This doesn't have to be major things. You can do it through little words of praise throughout the day. You know, like complimenting her character, as we talked about last week, praising her for the things God praises her for, character. You can admire uh, what she does for you and family. Thanking her for simple things are all ways that you can honor your wives. You could surprise her with gifts, big or little ones. It doesn't really matter. They just want to know you're thinking about them. Though I have learned there's a difference between big and little and cheap and thoughtful. The first question my wife would always ask me whenever I would bring her flowers. Wives, what do you, what do you think this is? Where did you get those? And I learned Walmart was the wrong answer. On the other hand, Target is always the right answer, right, women? One of the other ideas behind this word of honor is public recognition. In other words, we honor our wives by speaking highly of them in front of others. Again, this is true for husbands as well, but honestly, one of the ways I try to do this, and I wish I did it more, is I say things out loud about Peggy in front of our kids. Isn't your mom incredible? Isn't your mom the most beautiful woman ever? Doesn't she look hot today? They get really embarrassed when I say things like this. But that's even more fun, isn't it? Embarrassing your kids? Even simple things, guys. Don't just take the fact that she may have made dinner for you for granted. Thank her for that. And I'm not saying only the wives make dinner. There's so many caveats nowadays, I understand. But just thank her for some of the things that she does for you and your family. It's good for your children. It's good for others to see how much you honor your wife. And again, I don't do this perfectly or nearly enough, but it's a small thing that we can do as husbands to show honor to our wives. I'm going to share one other way we honor our wives. Don't look at other women. For example, in our house, whenever a commercial comes on that's inappropriate, you know, like one of those Victoria ad secret, whatever ads, I, I turn away. We, we change the channel, and I believe my wife notices that, and I hope she's honored about that. This is also one of the reasons you may think we're prude, but one of the reasons we have agreed in our marriage not to watch movies with nudity in it. There's just no reason for that to bring that into our marriage covenant. You may not be there. I'm not judging you based on those things. It's just a way we've decided to show honor to one another. Guys, I'm just going to say something 
hard to you right now. Remember when you stood in front of the church and you spoke those words, I do. What did you agree to there? You agreed to honor your wife. And here's what she needs to know from you still today, even if you've been married 50 years, do you still? Do you still take me? to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health. And now listen to this part, forsaking all others, giving yourself to her as long as you both shall live. That is quite a commitment we made, and God heard it. And he hasn't forgotten it. And he wants to give us the strength as men to keep it. And our wives want to help us keep it as well. This is a way we can honor them. Third thing Peter says about how we change our wives is that husbands are to protect their wives as the, quote, weaker partner. Now, similar to the idea of submission last week and how that's been trampled on these on, in our culture, these words have led to some misinterpretation as well. All Peter is saying by the weaker partner is that physically speaking, men generally tend to be stronger than women. That's it. Morally speaking, spiritually speaking, intellectually speaking, we are equal. Emotionally speaking, I'd argue, men are the weaker vessel in that. But here's the point of what Peter is saying. Instead of seeing that as some kind of a put down to women, as I know some women have, Peter is actually using this to build a case for husbands to protect their wives. In fact, would you just read these words from a different translation I have printed on your notes there? It says, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. We forget how revolutionary of a statement this was in the first century. Peter, as did Jesus, as did Paul, places men and women spiritually on equal ground. In God's eyes, we are the same. That is not how it was for women in the first century. And this is why so many women came to follow Jesus, to be considered equal in God's eyes when their whole life they had been told the opposite. This was freedom. So what Peter is saying by calling women the weaker partner is that as husbands, instead of taking advantage of that, protect her as your equal. Some of you guys are thinking right now, fine, the next time a burglar comes, I'll get up. That's not really what this means. What this means is that a husband is to take the lead in creating a space and an environment in their home where our spouses feel completely honored and protected and catch that. That means both outwardly, yes, but also inwardly. What do I mean? Well, I think a lot of men naturally understand their role as protector, right? We don't want anything from the outside coming into our house to harm our wives or our children. That's great, But that's only part of what Peter is talking about here. A bigger question is, does your wife feel safe inside your home with you? Sadly, one of the great sins of this culture is that far too many men have abused their position. God has given them as protector of their own family, and God will have none of it. Protecting inwardly means showing patience and managing aggression. During conflict, godly husbands don't power up. They don't raise their voices, and they certainly never use physical hostility in any way, shape, or form. I have heard horror stories 
that bring me to tears. Tears, 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 tears. How men calling themselves followers of Jesus abuse this directive to protect their wives. If your wife is afraid of you, that is a flat-out sin. You are not protecting her the way God ordained you to, and I said it last week, she has every right to report that to the police. She has every right, biblical authority, guidance to come to the elders of this church and talk about these things. Do me a favor, guys. When you go home today, I want you to ask your wife, do you feel safe with me? And if the answer is no, I don't, then you need to get some help some professional counseling at the very least because we are called, mandated to protect our wives. Can I get an amen for this? This is God's call to us as husbands. The last thing Peter mentions that we need to do in order to change our wives is we are to pray with their wives. Husbands are to pray with their wives. I never knew this before this last week. The word he uses there for your, as in your prayers, did you know that's actually in the plural? I think the Texans have this right, y'all, right? Sometimes the Bible speaks in y'all language, which implies that husbands and wives, your prayers should be praying together. I find it doubly interesting what this verse is really teaching. If you're following, our relationship with God is directly tied to our marriage. Yikes. Don't you think we better get this right? Now, I'll be honest with you. I've heard this a thousand times. Every marriage conference I've ever gone to, pray with your wife. Every sermon I've ever heard on marriage, pray with your wife. But for some reason, this is intimidating. I'll just speak for myself. I've talked to other men. It's intimidating for them as well. And the more I've examined my heart on this issue, it comes down to this. There's nothing more vulnerable than praying with someone. And men generally try to avoid vulnerability at all costs. Now, I'll tell you right now, it's been hard for me. It's been hard for me to initiate praying with my wife because I'm unsure of myself. I wonder what she's going to think. Am I going to say something dumb? Does she even really want me to initiate praying with her? This has been a tough hurdle for me to jump in our marriage. But I can tell you those times when I've gotten past my fear, it's been worth it. Now, let me just say a quick word to wives. The worst thing you could do is to make your husband feel inadequate if they try this with you, right? If your husband actually musters up the courage to be vulnerable enough to pray with you, encourage him. Don't laugh at him. Don't look at him like, what the heck was that? Friends, the truth is, just like in Peter's culture, in in today's culture, in the American church, There are many women who are more spiritually mature than their husbands. This is just just a fact. And yet, you can still respect your husband, even if he's brand new in the faith, by encouraging him to do this with you, even if he's a beginner. Encourage him by telling him, that means so much to me when you take the lead in that. Now, fellas, if I could sum all this up, I would point to Paul's words in Ephesians 5.25, which is another passage on marriage. In fact, just the guys in the room right now, let's read this out loud together. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love. I don't even know if we know what this word means today. People say things like, I love my job, I love my home, I love chocolate. 
I love my new sweater. I love the bears, though I've never understood that one, honestly. Then we talk about loving our spouses in the same sentence. Generally, what people are talking about when they use the word love in those examples I gave is we love what those things do for us, right? Your job satisfies your career need. Your home makes you feel comfortable. Chocolate satisfies your sweet tooth. Your new sweater makes you look fresh or drippy, as my son would say. The bears, I guess they satisfy your need to dream for a real quarterback since 1985. I don't know. But basically, though, with that understanding, what we're saying is I love something because of what it does for me. Does this make sense? We love something for what it does for me, and that gets to the heart of some of the main problem in marriages today, why in America, over 50% of married couples will end up getting divorced. We have taken this incorrect idea of love into our relationships. Love becomes something that my spouse does for me. That's why I love him. That's why I love her. Let me put it this way. Today, most people believe that love is this overwhelming, uncontrollable force And when this force comes upon you, there's just nothing you can do about it. That's when we say things like, this thing is bigger than the boat. Or we don't choose who we fall in love with or out of love with. Or how about the heart wants what it wants and it no longer wants you. The problem with that understanding of love, it's a complete myth. If you're on your notes, love is not an uncontrollable emotional force at least not biblical love. Because if all that's love, love is, if love just, quote, happens to you, then no marriage is safe. Because what if seven years into marriage, a man decides, I just don't love my wife anymore or vice versa? After all, if it's just an uncontrollable force, there's nothing I can do about that. Love just happens. This lie is ruining marriages everywhere. I've talked about this recently in the Greek language in the New Testament. The writers use three words for love. Some of you already know this. The first word they use is eros, which describes the passionate physical and sexual expression a married couple shares. This is an important part of marriage for sure. But it seems like that's the only one we talk about today. Another kind of love described in the New Testament is called philio, which is that companionship friendship kind of love. And then the last use of the word love is agape, which is the word used for committed, self-sacrificial love that puts others first. Now, all three of those are important for marriage. Let's be clear. But what word, guys, do you think Paul is using in verse 25 there when it comes to love your wives? Which one is it? Of course, it's the last of those. His command is not that we experience eros, although the Bible says that sex is a gift that God has given for a husband and wife to enjoy. Likewise, he's not commanding us for filio, although I would say that is one of the keys to a great marriage is a friendship. He's commanded us, if you're falling on your notes, for agape love, which is defined as an unselfish act of the will. Let me say that again. Act of the will. In other words, not a choice. Excuse me, it is a choice. It's not an uncontrollable force that leads to action. Let me just be clear. An unselfish act of the will, it's a choice we make that leads to action. That's biblical love. We choose, guys, to love our wife, just like Jesus chose to love the church. 
The best example I can think of this is when Jesus takes off his outer robe, gets down on his knees, takes a towel, and begins to wash those grimy, dirty feet of his disciples that are going to betray him in just a few hours. That is agape love. Now, you may have noticed I skipped a part of verse 7, a part I might say might be the most important part of this verse. It's the very beginning of the verse. What does it say? Husbands in the same way. Now, we talked about this last week. This section really starts way back in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, where Peter starts to talk to the church about how they're to relate to one another and to the society around them. And four times he uses the word submit, which as we learned last week, it's not the S word. It just means a voluntary selflessness on behalf of another person. And catch this, he uses it again for husbands. This is the ideal for a Christian marriage between two followers of Jesus, mutual submission. In that same passage in Ephesians 5, Paul writes this in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how he starts the whole section on marriage. And this is the biggest thing I hope you take away from these last two weeks. Two people giving themselves fully to one another as Christ did. And let me just say this. This is even bigger than you realize. This is bigger than just your marriage. He additionally adds in Ephesians 5.25 these amazing words. Husbands, love your wife. Nope, I'm sorry. It was Ephesians 5.32. Do I not have that? My bad. Basically, Paul compares this to Jesus and the church. Right? This is a mystery I don't understand. Marriage, he compares marriage to Jesus and the church. So if you're on your notes, God designed marriage to reveal Christ and his church. I'll get into that a little bit here. But friends, as we close this two-week challenge on marriage, I want to share with you the best way you can change your spouse. It's called the paradox principle. And if you're on your notes, the paradox principle is simple but not easy. It says, I die to self so that my spouse may thrive. We don't need to look any further than Jesus and his example to know that when we do that, like he did, our marriages can thrive, following the example of the one who laid down his life on our behalf so that we might live. How can we do anything less as followers of Jesus for our husband or for our wife? In fact, if you're following, ultimately marriages change when we lay our lives down for the other. I think this is what Paul means when he compares marriage to Christ and the church. What if Christians were out there today showing what marriage could really look like? This loving, sacrificial, lifelong union between a man and a woman. We talk a lot today about defending marriage in our country. But what if we started celebrating marriage as well? As husbands and wives, that can happen. As we learn to submit to one another in such remarkable ways that the people around us can't help but notice something's different. Something is different there. And they might, just might be curious enough to ask about the one who laid down his life for us. I just want to say something. I know not everybody in here has the ideal situation in marriage. There's divorce, adultery, all of these things. We can start today. God's gift is of new life. His mercies are new every morning. We encourage you and pray for you just as we do for the marriages in this church family.
And just like last week, we've asked a person in our church, a husband in our church family, if he would close us in prayer today. So take a look at this. Hi, my name is Kevin Elliott, and I'm here this morning to pray for the husbands. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we pause this morning to acknowledge you as God and King over all. Lord, we want to take just a few minutes to pray and ask you to guide, direct, and give courage to the husbands in our church. We know that the stronger our families are, the stronger this church and our witness will be in a lost and dying world. As husbands, we feel the pull from culture to pursue the things of this world and to covet worldly success. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have run after meaningless pursuits and often damaging ways to our wives. You have called us as husbands to first lead ourselves well and then to lead our families well. In leading ourselves well, would you first help us to pursue holiness and purity? Would you make our eyes, our mind, and our hearts pure so that you may use us for your glory? And second, would you help us to think long-term and live with the end in mind? Lord, you have given us this charge through your word today to lead our families by loving and giving. A call to action that you modeled yourself, for you so loved the world that you gave. Lord, you gave yourself up for your bride. Help us love our wives as you loved your people by giving ourselves up for our wives. May we, the husbands in this church, find delight and freedom in giving ourselves up for our wives. By your grace and power, would you help us as husbands to lead, love, and give to our wives for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillschurch.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.